this week, the comics guys explain the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, part three. Hello and welcome back everyone to our breakdown of the Falcon and Winter Soldier characters. Real quick before we begin this time, this is our one year anniversary show. Woohoo! Yeah. To all those of you who have been with us since the beginning, thank you so much. For those of you who have just joined up recently, we have a lot of cool stuff in the backlog, too. If you like what you hear, remember to check us out on Patreon so that we can keep doing this. And, you know, make sure you keep listening to each episode. If you have anything that you, any topic you want us to cover, we have a Discord, which is Explain This comic Comics Guys. And you can find the links for it also on our Patreon. So with all that said, let's dive right in. Last time we capped off talking about Sharon Carter, um, who also talked a lot about in the in the last episode about some of the possible issues they could have going forward um, and some of the issues they maybe had with her in this uh, episode. Next up, we're going to talk about a character who I think that we both agree they dealt with uh, excellently. Pretty much perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing I would have liked, but I'll, I'll save that for when we're um, for after we after we go through his uh, his background. And that is Isaiah, Isaiah Bradley. So, Darren, who is Isaiah Bradley? Isaiah Bradley is introduced to us in uh, Truth, Red, White, and Black, number one, uh, which was first took, comes out in uh, January of 2003. And this limited series basically tells the story of the other soldiers that the super soldier serum was tested on. And of course, in uh, you know, kind of like brutally bleak and unfortunately terribly realistic story, we l- discover that like uh, 300 black soldiers were kind of experimented on without their full awareness of you know what was going on uh, in order to kind of like test the serum in a uh, you know storyline with very disturbing parallels to the Tuskegee Airmen and uh, the horrible things that uh, the American government did to their uh, black soldiers in, in uh, World War II. Isaiah Bradley is one of those three hundred soldiers, and he is uh, he most of the people uh, who are. Uh, experimented on who received the uh, super soldier serum without Professor Einstein's, uh, you know, kind of like assistance. It goes very badly for them. Erskine. And no, what's that? You said Einstein. You, I think you meant Einstein. Einstein oh, is the guy oh. in the comics. Erskine oh, right. is the is the is the MCU addition right. to that. So yeah. It, regardless, he is without him uh, being there. Is the the serum goes badly, and uh, most of them uh, become very sickly or die or have you know like horrible uh, mutations happen to them. Isaiah, in fact, actually is one of the ones that it works on perfectly, and he is you know used by the U.S. Army uh, for a couple of secret missions over the course of this series, and in one of them, several other members of like that that group that uh, the set of soldiers are captured behind enemy lines. And Isaiah basically disobeys orders uh, to go after them to rescue them because they've been written off by the by the army. And once again, a story that's very close to uh, what's told in the uh, in the Falcon Winter Soldier series. In doing so, he actually steals a Captain America costume and shield uh, to go after them. So he is, you know, they man- he manages to rescue the other soldiers, or you know, two of them anyway, uh, and uh, is himself kind of is captured and then rescued. Uh, and he is prosecuted after the war and is put in prison uh, for the crime primarily of stealing the Captain America costume and disobeying orders. 
while he is in prison, he does not get any additional treatment uh, for the serum. And so the serum like continues to, you know, kind of like work on him negatively. And he winds up uh, basically having um, some fairly serious uh, uh, psychological and mental issues uh, from dealing with the, the serum untreated, basically. Uh, he is finally uh, set free, he's released from prison um, when a number of activists basically badger President Eisenhower uh, into letting him out. And it is revealed uh, over the course of the limited series that while he has been largely forgotten about by uh, white American history, that during the time after he was released, he is, uh, you know, visited and uh, is considered to be a hero by a number of important black figures, right? That like Martin Luther King and Muhammad Ali and other people have, you know, like come to visit him, uh, you know, during his uh, uh recovery basically from the time he spends in prison and so you know this is a uh, uh a very powerful story uh you know that kind of like it reveals the 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 backstory uh you know like behind the creation of captain america um the idea that like you know you would first uh experiment on uh you know that you experiment on a white guy first basically uh you know is kind of like revealed to be you know not exactly the way the government would operate um, there is a fabulous sequence in the Black Panther Storm Wedding um, in Black Panther number 18, September 2006, uh, during the storyline where Reginald Hudland is writing Black Panther and has decided to marry off uh, T'Challa to Aurora. Um, Isaiah Bradley is one of the guests that they invite to the wedding. And there are a couple of hilarious sequences in it where every other black superhero, every other black Marvel superhero recognizes him. And they're astonished at how cool it is that he's friends with Black Panther, right? Mm -hmm. This just establishes Black Panther is even cooler than they thought he was because look, he's friends with Isaiah Bradley and they're like awestruck, right? And like several of them are coming up to, you know, like meet him and shake his hand and, you know, like Luke Cage and Monica Rambeau and, you know, all of these other characters are coming up to you know to talk to him and none of the white characters have the slightest idea who he is wolverine's like who is that guy why is everybody so you know like so so weird over this right it's just you know reginald hudlin being like the you know fabulous asshole basically you know <laughs> of like how you know subconsciously unconsciously racist racist even the marvel universe is right like none of the white heroes have even heard of this guy they have no awareness you know like of his existence basically the story continues over several other Captain America um, series. We learn, for example, that uh, his son, he had a son uh, who was also kind of like a result of like government experiments. But as a baby, he was basically snatched away by his mother uh, and given away and raised unofficially by uh, unofficial foster parents to keep the same things from happening to him uh, that happened to uh, Isaiah. Um, and his name is Josiah, and he turns uh, in several other hero several other stories, Josiah um, becomes follower of the um, Nation of Islam and changes his name to Josiah X. And uh, you know, there's an entire storyline about him. His grandson Eli uh, does not have any powers, or you know, like gets gets nothing, you know, genetically from this, but pretends that he does. Uh, he uh, basically acquires some mutant growth hormones um, that give him. Uh, superhuman strength and reflexes and that sort of thing. And he becomes the costumed teenage hero known as the Patriot uh, and is the original leader, basically, of the Young Avengers. Um, it is, a, you know, he lies to everyone and says that he got his powers genetically from his grandfather, 
uh, from from Isaiah, but it is eventually his deception is discovered, and uh, he uh, you know is having all kinds of trouble with addiction to the mutant growth hormones, and they're you know making him sick. Besides, he winds up uh, you know getting off of those um, and loses his powers, and then in a second story, basically throws himself in front of a machine gun to save Captain America's life. Um, and Captain America has to, you know, kind of like rescue him and hustle him to the hospital. And Cap is planning to give him a blood transfusion uh, to save his life. But then we discover that, in fact, uh, Isaiah's already done that. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he gets Isaiah's blood. And Eli uh, is powered up by having the blood transfusion from his grandfather anyway. So Eli currently now, uh, once again, has the superheroes, superpowers that he pretended to have years ago in the, uh, in the Young Avengers stories. It was really sad when uh, they came out with another Young Avengers and they just totally removed him from the team. Yeah. Like, just not, he, he comes up in one issue and then I think there's another Young Avengers starting up soon. So maybe we'll see him come back. But I have hopes. Up. I mean, every, every time there's a new group of kids related to the Avengers, it's champions or anything else, uh, you know, yeah. you kind of hope that Eli's going to come back because he was a really good character. He was. His, his arc in uh, the first Young Avengers is great. Um, and it took forever for them to write because the, the writer went away, but it took like five years right. for the Avengers 2 to come out, and he was great in that too. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. The one thing I do, I and it, it comes down to you know them not having the time. I wish we actually got to see the fight between him and uh, Winter Soldier. They sure. That. It sounds awesome. But I have, uh, I have every hope that we are so not done with that, right? Like there's so much yeah. more that can be done uh, with that, and I would like to do it while Sebastian stands too young, still young enough to, you know, for it to be plausible. Yeah, to so play, I, game, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, 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 I very much would like to see that. I would very much like to see, uh, you know, a bunch of Winter Soldier activities, basically. So yeah. Also, I want to see the the Isaiah Bradley costume. Like his costume mm -hmm. is probably one of the better Captain America variants that is out there. So I'd love yes. to see the MCU take on it. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. Well, moving on from uh, him, we get to uh, the Power Broker. Um, who the comics version doesn't really appear at all. Um, but then again, he doesn't really show up all that much in the comics either. He just kind of more mentioned than seen. He was, um, he was around in the seventies, a bunch. He was a recurring yeah. bad guy across several different. Um, as because he was, uh, you know, a member of the corporation. So to, right. to, to cover this, the, the, the power broker in the Marvel comics world has nothing to do with uh, Sharon at all. Um, he's a guy named Curtis Jackson. Uh, first time we meet Curtis Jackson is actually in Machine Man number seven uh, in October 1978. Uh, so he's connected to the whole kind of, you know, like Machine Man story, which means technically he's connected to, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, et cetera, et cetera, uh, as several other people have pointed out. Um, but really, he's not, you know, he, he, he only appears the one time in Machine Man um, as part of kind of like, the uh, a time when several different titles that marvel was was publishing in the late 70s were all like being written by people who were friends with each other and they would frequently kind of like share concepts and share bad guys and stuff across uh multiple issues and one of those like recurring bad guys in the 70s for marvel comics was a group called the corporation and the corporation was this kind of like villainous organization that were you know kind of like James Bond villains who like operated entirely for profit, like within the world of business, right? They were like the, a, a takedown basically of the entire, you know, kind of like military industrial complex 
right? The whole idea that like supervillains would behave like mega corporations and have directors and boards and all of that other sort of thing uh, for it was, you know, kind of like a, a, a popular uh, meme, I guess, of the 70s. The idea that like this would be, uh, you know, like that, that, that there was very little difference in the end between crazy supervillains and evil corporations, right? Was kind of like the, the premise of the joke, basically. And so the corporation shows up in a bunch of different Marvel comics at the time, up to schemes all over the place. Curtis Jackson first appears uh, in, like I said, in the Machine Man story, where the corporation has basically got it into their heads that they want to acquire Machine Man and duplicate him and sell him as a bunch of you know, indestructible robot soldiers to the army. Uh, completely plausible plot, of course, um, which Machine Man has to, you know, like escape from and defeat them. And Curtis Jackson, you know, makes his first appearance there as kind of like the chairman of the board of that version of the corporation. Uh, he then, uh, the corporation then shows up in the Hulk and in Captain America and several other different series across the, uh, uh, along the 70s. Basically, once again, all kind of written by the same two or three people. Um, the corporation tries to do the same thing to the Hulk that they tried to do with Machine Man, right? They're like, if we could get a hold of the Hulk, we could figure out, uh, you know, how his transformation works. We could figure out how gamma radiation works. We could make a whole bunch of gamma-powered soldiers and sell them to the army. Um, and this uh, also goes goes badly. Um, so the corporation is revealed to have an East Coast and a West Coast branch. And Curtis Jackson is revealed to be the West Coast leader. The East Coast version is uh, a guy named, uh, a senator named Eugene Stivak. And Eugene Stivak is uh, also super secretly the, uh, you know, supervillain, the, the, the mass uh, operative called Kligger. And, uh, you know, the two of them, Kligger and uh, Curtis Jackson, are in a rivalry over, like, which, which section, which division of the corporation is going to be more profitable and uh you know like get more stuff done and so uh jackson is kind of like the head of the corporation in a bunch of the hulk stories and Kligger is the head of the corporation in a bunch of captain america stories which all kind of like ends up with the two meeting and competing with each other uh during the storyline that also involves the shield super agents where falcon is like the leader of that team and we learn that uh, the hulk's teen sidekick at the time jim wilson is in fact related to sam wilson a you know plot detail that had not been you know established uh for some time until it became kind of like the excuse to get captain america and hulk together into the same story Kligger has a uh, has an vamp uh in the course of the story who is pretending to be a superhero she's pretending to be a shield agent um she is also revealed that Kligger has the ability to turn her into a super monster called the animus and the Animus is strong enough to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Hulk. And so, you know, there's a, a whole set of kind of like recurring appearances of the Animus uh, as this monstrous character who we don't know who he is or where he came from. But it turns out that he is actually the vamp uh, being subjected to this like strange, you know, power effect. So eventually Captain America and the Hulk and the Falcon and the S.H.I.E.L.D. all kind of like working together basically do kind of like smash the corporation and they kind of like recede into the background of being a you know like marvel bad guys we don't see any of those guys again until the early 80s uh and we see curtis jackson again we see that he has kind of you know bounced back from uh, his problems with the corporation to become the leader of a company called or an organization called power broker incorporated 
And Power Broker Incorporated is this, uh, you know, kind of like behind the scenes operation that is providing super augmentation services to individuals. They will basically turn you into a superhuman. They will give you super strength and reflexes and toughness, et cetera, et cetera, um, through a process that's not specifically CAPS serum, but it's clearly pretty close, right? And, you know, it works quite well. Like 50% of the people who get this augmentation um, get superpowers, and like 50% of them become monsters and get swept under the carpet so that nobody can tell that that's a problem. Um, and the power broker has a relationship with the uh, UCWF, with the uh, class wrestling federation that the thing at this time is the champion of. And many of the uh, people who are paying, who are buying the augmentation, uh, they owe the, you know, they can't afford to pay the power broker everything up front, right? So they, they owe the power breaker a lot of money. And so they take advantage of the UCWF by becoming professional wrestlers. And then a big chunk of their pay goes to pay off the power broker for the cost of him giving them super strength. And this becomes kind of like, a once again, a running background that kind of like unites Captain America and the Thing in their solo comics at a time when Mark Gruenwald was writing both of them. So, you know, like the, the, the two stories were kind of like intertwined together. Um, during that time, Curtis Jackson hires Dr. Malice, a, a uh, Captain America bad guy, as like his doctor. Uh, you know, kind of like overseeing all of the uh, operations. And at the same time, he's also got another side gig going where he's going to sell super soldiers to the army the same way he was trying to before back with the corporation. And he creates a, uh, a, a super soldier, uh, you know, kind of like tryout, basically, a character called G.I. Max, who, uh, you know, is like the, 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 the test subject for uh, soldiers going through this. And he, of course, goes crazy and Captain America has to defeat him. Uh, and, you know, so he's, like I said, he's a running background character for several years in the comics. Um, the Scourge uh, is uh, another Captain America bad guy who is preying on supervillains. He's assassinating supervillains. Uh, and he, this was kind of like Mark Gruenwald's way of kind of like clearing the decks of a lot of like stupid characters that Marvel had uh, accumulated over time. Uh, he was kind of having this character show up in other people's comics to like kill a bad guy, uh, you know, just kind of like spectacular, spectacularly, and then say justice is served and then disappear off into the shadows. And it was becoming this whole running mystery of like who the Scourge actually was. Um, so the Scourge uh, targets Curtis Jackson, targets the Power Broker, and decides he's the next one they're going to kill. And of course, Power Broker finds out about this and says, well, holy crap, I've got to protect myself. I'd better give myself my own uh, treatment. I'd better give myself the own, my own procedure. Uh, and so he puts himself through the, through the system. And of course, he's one of the ones it doesn't work on. Uh, he does become incredibly strong, but his body becomes so kind of like deformed by his gigantic muscles that he can no longer even actually move. Um, he's, you know, just like this basically paralyzed muscle bound freak creature with like an ordinary sized head on top of like a gigantic muscular body. Um, and he has to use like a, uh, like an exoskeleton just to even move around, just to like walk and, and get around. Uh, and so he becomes this kind of like freakish nightmare of a character for a few issues. And then the Punisher kills him, uh, you know, in a completely basically unrelated storyline. Um, and so that is the end of Curtis Jackson, end of Broker, until just a few years ago 
when a new supervillain, whose name we don't even know, we don't even know his real name, uh, showed up as the power broker, who was kind of like had similar schemes to the previous one. He's got different powers. He clearly has superpowers and he can shoot energy blasts for some reason. And around 2007, 2008, he became a recurring bad guy for Ant-Man, for the Scott Lang Ant-Man, and his daughter, who had taken on the superhuman identity of the Stinger. And the two of them basically, you know, thwarted him eventually, but never really did kind of like learn anything about him. Their series got canceled. Kind of hilariously, one of the funny things about that power, power broker was that one of the things he was trying to fund with his crimes was a startup app that would let you hire a superpowered henchman kind of like an Uber, right? <laughs> like he would just like, you know, dial this number and say, I need a superpowered henchman to come help me or whatever kind of thing. And if you were a member or whatever, then they would send some mercenary supervillain to come help you. And I was like, that's kind of a hilarious concept that, you know, should should exist in the Marvel universe. Uber, Uber for villains is a great idea. Crimer. Yeah, or something, right? But that guy has never like been fully explained, like canceled, nobody's brought him back. So we don't know what's going on with him. Okay, well. Yeah, I mean, Power Broker, I, don't, I think we've already said all that we had to say about uh, how she shows up in the... In I, I would like to have it revealed that, like, Curtis Jackson, somebody was right to explain kind of, like, the timing, to, to yeah. at least establish that that's on purpose. That she, like, what, killed him or... Yeah, or, she killed him or took over his... Yeah, or something. Or, he got, or, dude, he got snapped away. Right, Ooh. like that, that for, you know, maybe maybe we don't even have to, like, put that on her, right? Maybe he just disappeared right. and she found out took his spot that'd be cool and then yeah. we can have her and him clashing during one of these right you know, exactly he comes back and now we're you know he wants his job back or something yeah i would like i would like my criminal organization back please right yeah okay so from there someone who uh has been great uh in all of their appearances batrock yes um, of course played by uh george st pierre in the movies where does batrock first show up Batrock, of course, in the comics is nothing like George. Uh, kind of like hilariously so, right? I mean, the one of the great things that St. Pierre somehow managed to do was play one of the most ridiculous Marvel villains and actually make him real and interesting and kind of dangerous looking. Mm -hmm. uh, Batrock is a, uh, he first appears in Tales of Suspense number 75 uh, back in March of 1966. And he is a mercenary martial artist uh, who is hired by an organization called Them, who are, you know, once again, another set of like James Bond style secret operatives uh, who are chasing Agent 13 around during the Sharon Carter, the, the early Sharon Carter stories. Um, Them is one of the groups that uh, she is always getting into trouble with, uh, and Captain America has to rescue her from or gets involved in some story involved with her, and then she disappears. Uh, and so um, one of the people who tries to kill uh, uh, Agent 13 is Batrock. And the writer at the time for this had just discovered the existence uh, of the French martial art called Savate, called, uh, you know, like the kickboxing uh, martial art the, that was developed by French, French people, and decided that uh, that was an awesome idea and an awesome concept and he would create a supervillain who had uh was a master of kickboxing and that sort of thing but of course because he would was french he would have an outrageous accent and he would have a ridiculous oversized uh you know like facial hair including a uh you know a mustache long enough to be twirled and then a little goatee kind of thing and he would just say outrageous things and he would leap around and uh, consider himself to be the greatest martial artist in the world. And he was hilarious. Mm. Uh, and he became a beloved regular 
Captain America bad guy. Um, the first time he appears in the first extended stories, we discover that he's got a weird kind of like code of honor to himself, right? He, he traps Captain America and challenges him to a one-on-one -on -one fight because he thinks he's the greatest martial artist in the world. And, you know, he gives a pretty good fight to Captain America, but then Captain America beats him. And them, the bad guys who, you know, hired Batrock for all of this are like, okay, enough. Can we please just shoot him now? You know, and Batrock is outraged. You know, this is the, he, Captain America beat me. Therefore he gets to leave. He gets to go away. And so he has like a, a temporary face turn and helps Captain America beat up the agents of them because they were being dishonorable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, you know, he, he keeps showing up as a bad guy. He keeps showing up as a mercenary. Um, of all of Marvel's bad guys, he's kind of like the most blatantly mercenary, right? Like he can be bought off all the time. All he's interested in is money. And that becomes, you know, kind of like played with, I think, a bit in the in the Falcon show when, uh, you know, at a time that it's a terrible idea to start negotiating uh, is when Batrock demands, you know, that like the power broker give him more money. Right. <laughs> right. It's like this couldn't wait until, you know, like maybe later tonight when we're not in the middle of a crisis. So, you know, I thought that was kind of like the most uh, most uh, accurate, you know, kind of like Batrock portrayal uh, that I'd ever seen. Uh, Batrock is the uh, is the guy, by, by the way, who uh, famously is the one who successfully stole Captain America's shield um, when Obadiah Stane was in charge of Stark International. And he wanted Captain America's shield so that he could figure out how to like duplicate it and make armor out of it. And so he hires Batrock and a couple of other bad guys uh, to go steal Captain America's shield, which they successfully do. And uh, hilariously, we then see uh, the three bad guys that he's hired, led by Batrock, showing up at Stain International with Captain America's shield in a pizza box. <laughs> you know, their they're, they're like shtick to get inside is to pretend it's a pizza delivery. <laughs> uh, and so they do, and then Captain America, you know, goes after them and catches up with them, but they've already gotten paid for the shields, right? And so they are getting drunk on the proceeds of the money that Stain just, uh, that just got them, and Captain America confronts them when they're all drunk. And basically realizing that they're drunk, challenges Batrock to a fight in such a way that it gets the other two bad guys, uh, like, betting on who's going to win this fight. And of course, Batrock can't back down in front of these other two guys when Captain America is like calling him out in the street, right? So Batrock drunkenly goes out and, you know, like fights Captain America. And it's clear Captain America is just playing with him at that point because he's too drunk to actually fight. <laughs> and Captain America says, okay, here's the deal. In the middle of the fight, he's like holding him, you know, in a close and is whispering in his ear. And he's saying, here's the deal. Tell me where my shield is and I will give you one free shot at me in front of those. Right. And Batrock is just like, okay, fine. We, we sold it to Obadiah Stane. And he's like, okay, great. And he lets, lets him go, acts like Batrock has broken free and basically just kind of like drops his defenses so that, so that Batrock can kick him. Right. <laughs> and Batrock clobbers him, sends him flying across the alley. And the two other guys are like, holy crap, he just beat Captain America. And they're like exchanging money. Right? <laughs> you know, like, like one of them just won, you know, like on the bet. And, you know, Batrock is like, I, yes, I am the greatest. Of course. And Captain America gets up out of the alley, of course, from that and comes back and is just like, okay, that was your free shot. And, you know, clocks him and just destroys him in front of the, the other two bad guys who run away with, with Batrock's share of the money. <laughs> so Batrock is left like poor and penniless and drunk in an alley. And, you know, Captain America goes on to the rest of his adventure. To me, that's the ultimate Batrock story, right? That's that's the, the, the version of him I will always love. 
Yeah, he's a great character. He is a. Uh, I think they tried to do a Batroc like miniseries or like three shot, and it was awful because he's not that type of character, really. Yeah, so, uh, there there was an entire thing that set him back during World War Two. I remember I read that, and he was supposed to be like a French agent or something. It just didn't work. He can't be serious. You can't. You can't really do serious Batroc. No, uh, even GSPs has a has an element of kind of ridiculousness to it. Right. Um. But yeah, uh, shame he's dead. Uh, next, if he is, but we'll see. Yeah, is uh, Madripoor, right? Um, the city that really has uh, very little to do with uh, Captain America. Uh, you know, pl- like everything else in here was very heavily Captain America. You know, uh, right? Work. Comes from Madripoor. the comics specifically. Yes. Yeah, Madripoor has almost nothing to do with Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what is Madripoor? Madripoor is a fakey city created by Chris Claremont that uh, the X-Men have interacted with multiple times. Um, it is basically Chris Claremont's version, you know, a, a cartoonish version of Singapore. Um, in fact, physically on the map, it's literally right next to Singapore. Um, and it has appeared in a bunch of different uh, mutant comics uh, originally created by Chris Claremont. The first time it actually appears is in New Mutants number 32 uh, in October 1985, where a bunch of the New Mutants are have been... Um, it's during the stretch of stories where Karma has been taken over by the Shadow King. And uh, Shadow King is using her mind control powers to kind of like build his army of evil or whatever. And he's doing it from this mysterious city of Madripoor. So the New Mutants have to go there to you know fight her. Um, it's this you know small island nation, about a million people who live there. According to the story, it's founded by pirates, and so like its laws are all kind of uh, you know like pro-organized crime, right? Like they have no uh, international law applies there. They don't have any extradition. Um, criminal investors from other countries like hide all of their money there and stuff. So, you know, they have uh, this kind of like reputation for lawlessness. And so the city itself has like, you know, half of the city is called High Town and it's like where the super rich live. And the other half of the city is just like the slummiest, poorest, most dangerous, most violent, you know, kind of like a, a city out of a martial arts movie or a you know cyberpunk movie or whatever that you can imagine. Um, and that's called Lowtown. Uh, Lowtown has appeared over and over again in Wolverine's solo comics. Wolverine, in fact, uh, has maintained a false identity or as somebody as a guy named Patch in which he like fake wears an eye patch over one eye uh, and pretends to be a completely different person for Wolverine type reasons. Um, If I recall correctly, patch is currently the identity that is being used by old man Logan. uh, Now that he kind of like crossed over into our dimension and he is living in Madripoor as patch uh, right now. Um, But it, like I said, it shows up over and over again. We see a bunch of different, um, uses of it primarily in the X-Men. So this is kind of the first sign of the MCU having access to story points and concepts that that were with the X-Men, right? Like during the time that like the X-Men were not available uh, as as characters, as concepts, because they were, you know, signed over to, to other studios. Um, Marvel is, you know, kind of their, their first effort at kind of like showing their hand 
oh, we've got all of the X-Men stuff, you know, now in hand, and that's going to be part of our, uh, our, our situation going forward is the introduction of Madripoor in this story. Yeah. And it's a, it, yeah, I think a lot of people were a little disappointed that it wasn't more mutant stuff after it's uh, saw Madripoor, but I, I think it was really just there. There's a, no room whatsoever in any mutants to show up. I would have, I would have been annoyed if it had. Absolutely. I agree. Um, people have been looking for every, I feel like there's a subset of Marvel fans who every, um, every TV show and every movie from this point out, they're going to be looking for hints of mutants and right to a lesser degree, fantastic four. And that if they don't get it, they're going to be, you know, frustrated. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think that even though it was amazing in uh WandaVision, I think that the Quicksilver thing really kind of fed the trolls there. <laughs> right. Um, yes, absolutely. So um, once again, that was a character whose, you know, ownership was in a bit of dispute. Right. Absolutely. Um, all right. So uh, last but not least, uh, as far as characters and, and places we're going to talk about um, is someone that I don't think anyone really knew was in the show until, uh, you know, she walked on screen. Right. Um, and that is uh, Countess Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Um, so As portrayed by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yep. In, um, in a hilarious cameo that came out of... Yeah, she was great in the in the you know two hours that they had her for. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Countess. So Conte- uh, Countess or Contessa Valentina um, was a supporting character for uh, Shield um, before even before she had anything to do with Captain. America. She is in uh, Strange Tales number one fifty nine, uh, which was uh, August nineteen sixty seven. And so she is not in the Captain America side of the S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. She's in the Nick Fury side of the S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. Um, during this stretch of time, she's a Jim Steranko creation during the time that Steranko was telling these fabulous op art, you know, um, uh, uh, spy stories with super cool secret agent Nick Fury, right? Um, and so, of course, super cool secret agent Nick Fury needs to have super cool hot European women to interact with, right? That's just that just goes with the with, with the story. Um, and so, the first time we meet her, uh, she is a uh, a wealthy European noblewoman, basically from a from a wealthy family with property and titles and that sort of thing, uh, who has uh, basically out of boredom. Um, because she's so incredibly skilled at everything that she has tried, she basically uh, is recruited into Shield, who figure that like with all of her like fabulous you know like rich world connections, basically, um, she would make an excellent spy for them. And so Dum Dum Dugan basically uh, kind of you know takes her under his wing uh, and starts training her as a secret agent. And the first time we meet her. Uh, there is, you know, uh, Nick Fury has come in to see what Dugan is doing, and Dugan has a team, a bunch of his young agents, uh, lined up for fighting drills. And Nick Fury sees this absolutely stunningly beautiful woman with the, you know, the long hair, the, the blue black hair with like the white stripe in the middle of it. Um, and is just like, what is this, you know, woman doing here in your combat drills? And Dugan says, you think she's so easy, you know, you try. And Nick Fury, like, basically kind of challenges her to a fight, and she kicks his butt. She just clobbers him hand-to-hand combat. Um, 
to be fair, he wasn't, you know, he for the beginning of the fight, he's kidding, right? Like he doesn't take her seriously until she knocks him down a couple of times. Um, but suddenly now, right, like we've established that she's kind of a badass and Nick Fury is now kind of like, she's super attractive. I've got to get with her now, you know, kind of thing. Um, so for several years, there is this kind of like triangle because Nick Fury has a girlfriend in this series and her name is a character named uh, uh, Laura Brown. And Laura Brown is super boring. She's super ordinary. She's just not really the kind of, you know, like girlfriend that badass secret agents should have. And so there's this kind of triangle of like, should I stay with boring Laura who loves me or should I go off on a wild fling with this badass Italian, you know, secret agent, uh, you know, who works for me becomes kind of like a triangle uh, storyline that Stranko is playing with. Um, when we get into the early 70s, uh, Captain America is now regularly appearing in the field and Nick Fury have been established as friends. And Nick still has never quite kind of like finished the deal with Valentina, right? Like they're not, uh, uh, he, they're, they're not a couple. They're just kind of like flirty. And she decides now she's sick of waiting for Nick to make a move. And she becomes, starts flirting with Captain America. And so now the triangle goes the other way, right? Now it's Captain America and Nick Fury who have been set up as kind of rivals for Valentina's, uh, you know, attention. Um, so she continues to be this kind of like supporting character in the background, one of Nick's agents, basically, along with people like Dum Dum Dugan and Jasper Sitwell and Clay Quartermain and all of the other kind of, you know, like recurring S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. Um, when S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't have its own series, she kind of, you know, like fades into the background. Um, when Nick Fury leaves S.H.I.E.L.D., she becomes the uh, UK liaison, the United Kingdom liaison for S.H.I.E.L.D., and becomes kind of like the manager of the agents and operatives uh, in Great Britain, which means that she gets to appear in the uh, Union Jack and M uh, M13 uh, stories. Um, most recently, uh, in, the, in the early 2000s, she is revealed to have been a long-term sleeper agent for the criminal organization Leviathan. Um, and apparently she's been a bad guy all of this time and we just never knew it. So like 40 years of comic history or whatever have like suddenly been kind of like turned upside down, uh, by the fact that she's, you know, like secretly been waiting to be activated by this organization, uh, called Leviathan. Leviathan was fighting a war against Hydra. Like these two criminal organizations were basically battling each other secretly. Um, and so basically Leviathan has... Valentina betray Shield on behalf of Hydra and join Hydra as a secret Leviathan agent, right? So she's like triple crossing pretty much like everybody in the stories. Um, the most recent storyline that involved all of that, that all kind of got revealed and she was defeated uh, by Nick Fury, actually, and thrown in prison. And as far as we know right now, that's where she is in the comics. But obviously, she is way too much fun uh, as a character to stay in the comics. And I fully, I, I fully hope and expect that if she's going to be an important character going forward in the MCU, uh, you know, that if we're going to do this for her, she should get out and, you know, like start causing trouble in the comics again, because she is just far too much fun uh, to leave, you know, stuck in prison somewhere. Yeah. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus seems like a great casting choice um, right. as far as someone to, uh, to play that kind of character. 
it, it's interesting because she seems to be uh, uh, Dreyfus's portrayal seems to be uh, like combining two different characters named Val, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. she's Countess Valentina, but she also seems to be Val Cooper, right? right? And if you're familiar with Val Cooper, is also like a government agent who frequently winds up crossing over and dealing with the X Men in right. various uh, you know manifestations. She was the you know she was the the government operative who ran X Factor. Basically, she was you know like the human working with X Factor. So you know there are two vowels in Marvel, you know, comics basically that Julia Louis Dreyfus seems to be kind of like playing both of at the same time. So yeah, it'd be pretty interesting to see where she goes. She was kind of a uh, she reminded me a lot of her character from Veep. If you ever watched Veep, yeah, a bit. Right. If if Veep, she's she's like a cross between Veep and like Amanda Wall. Yeah. No, right. She's that. a little too yeah. She's a little but she, you know hesitation whatsoever she will manipulate everybody to get what she wants she's like nick fury with no conscience whatsoever yeah you know and i have uh, i have i have a great deal of hope that uh you know that that her shenanigans will uh you know continue to propagate through the marvel universe especially once we reestablish nick fury as a character right there's so right. much setup that's been done with the scrolls and with him up in space you know that like we desperately need all of this storyline to kind of like come together in one place where all of these people can bounce off each other yeah need to see need to see uh nick Fury, what nick fury is up to hopefully we will soon all right well uh, and to, you know see if our potential theory of sharon carter is a scroll uh actually does right. pay off yes i'm hoping to see uh i'm hoping we'll learn a little bit more about the ongoing plot uh towards the end of black widow too right uh, and Hawkeye is also supposed to, you know, will hopefully tell us something about like the, you know, the state of like secret agents and international crime and stuff in the Marvel universe. Yeah. People were saying they thought this was going to be Jeremy Renner's last go, but it didn't seem like that from his sign-off message that I read the other day. Right. Yeah. I think I th I think it's the last one on his retract, and there was like at the time that uh, he was planning to do any more past this past this one. But I yeah. think he's had so much fun doing it that he's kind of like I don't think I'm done yet. So. Yeah, I really, I hope he sticks around. Uh, I still feel like we've never really, maybe this Hawkeye will be it, but we've never really gotten the the Hawkeye that like I wanted from the comics. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of as a uh, issue with how he was brought in in Avengers. But. I've always enjoyed his appearances, but yes, he's never been a fully developed character. He's never gotten the kind of story a lot of the other ones have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be, we'll, we will certainly um, talk about the Hawkeye show and uh, next up, probably the Loki show um, once that finishes and probably also Black Widow. So um, if you like this uh, format for the show, uh, please let us know. Um, if you didn't like this format for the show, uh, let us know that too. Let us know that and we won't do it anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but all right. Well, I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming. Wait.